the trail can break you. I've mm-hmm. seen so many people quit hiking just because they didn't want to be wet anymore. And just, why am I putting myself through this? And it just by getting a hot shower and drying out for a day in town can turn you around and get you back out into the woods. Yeah. And it can be life-saving <laughs> on the Continental Divider or even the PCT if you hit a heavy snow year and you need to go into Mammoth and and get a hotel mm-hmm. and warm up and, you know, you you have to allow yourself those things. It keeps you going. I can always start again So when we find ourselves wishing You're listening to the Hiking Through Podcast. I'm Erin Egan, and this is the podcast where I talk to experienced through hikers about their adventures on the trail and strategies for successfully completing a through hike. Today's guest is OG, or old gear to the rest of us, known off trail as Neil Hanlon. He currently works for a green coffee warehouse in Portland having completed his Triple Crown in 2017 by successfully sobo-hiking the Continental Divide Trail. Neil also has a really deep background in gear, so I totally geek out with him during this episode. You can find us at hiking-through.com, through spelled T-H-R-U, of course, where you can find show notes, photos, and links for any gear mentioned in this podcast. You can also listen to us on Apple Podcast and all the other podcast places. Enjoy my conversation with OG. There we go. Oh, there we are. Yes. I'm in my office. Now, where is your office? What are you... I work in a green coffee warehouse in Portland, Oregon. Okay. Um, we don't own any of the coffee ourselves, but we warehouse the green coffee for importers and roasters and uh, manage the inbound and outbound coffee. So we get coffee shipped out to roasters when they are ready to roast their coffee. Got it. So I would take it then because we met obviously at, well, not obviously, but we met at REI. Right. So I take it you left REI, did the Continental Divide. That's correct. Came Well, I was working a different... I, I had a day job and I worked at REI. Got so it. Okay. I, I was doing both and left REI, left the other job, went and hiked the Continental Divide, came back, only worked at REI for a little while until I found this job. And this job is a little more flexible than my old job, okay. which means... I do have to work into the evening sometimes. I have to travel up to Seattle occasionally. I have sometimes I'm going to have to be on weekends, so it was not reliable enough to be able to stick with an REI retail schedule. Right. So I had to uh, leave REI. You had to but leave REI and all the gear. All the gear, right? <laughs> yeah, it's true. I mean, for for the people who are going to be listening to this podcast, just to kind of introduce you a little bit. You were my guru when I walked into REI in Portland and started going, um, pack for uh, for the Pacific Crest Trail. What should I be using? What should I be looking for in it? Oh, okay. So we've got a pack now. What about a sleeping bag? What about a sleeping pad? Right. You were the guy. Well, I mean, 
I still have those conversations, um, <laughs> just not in a professional manner, I guess. Uh, right. Not getting paid to anymore. I um, still love gear, still love talking about it. I actually um, have been coaching a guy who's going to do the PCT next year. Um, oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. He just got his Pleximid in the mail, like, I think yesterday. So he's really excited about that. And we've gone on a couple of hikes together. And mm-hmm. so kind of partnered up with him to help him hike next year. So what, when you say coaching, what does that mean, in fact? Well, so he actually started out as another REI customer. He came in for, <laughs> he came for an outfitting, and I helped him out with uh, clothing specifically okay. and shoes. He was having a really hard time finding shoes that fit his feet well. So we talked about, you know, how to change up the lacing so that his ankle was more secure and he didn't have slippage, uh, didn't get the impact injuries with your foot slipping forward, things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then also learning how to layer clothing uh, and pack more minimally uh, and utilizing the layers that you have instead of buying additional clothing and carrying additional weight when you right. can just change certain items in your in your in your gear to be able to achieve the same thing. Okay. Yeah. So it all started it started like that and then we exchanged phone numbers and we start we got it a little more personal and we're able to talk about, you know, morale, uh planning, like how to do food how to structure breaking down the hike into sections and making it more manageable to kind of conceptualize mm-hmm. because you frequently um, it can be a daunt it can be an overwhelming thing it can be really daunting and a lot of people get stuck at the beginning thinking oh I've still got twenty five hundred <laughs> miles that I have to hike how am I going to do that and really what you have to do is just break it down into section. I have to make it to this next campsite. I have to make it to the next town, make it to the next resupply, whatever it may be, whatever shorter term goal that you need to keep going. Right. So, so kind of tips like that. And then also just general gear talk. I've been talking about all the different options that he has and he comes, he does a lot of research and comes to me with a lot of questions about, well, should I choose this tent over this tent? Does it make sense to have more space and have, four to five additional ounces or should I have a a rain fly in a tent or is a single wall okay? What are the pluses and minuses to that? So all those kinds of discussions. Oh, quilt versus sleeping bag. Right. You know, what what are these better pads? Which pad is better? Um, Just everything, everything. We've been talking about everything. Well, and I guess that's the, that's the fun side of a through hike is that there are so many topics to talk about. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you can, you can very easily go down the rabbit hole. Yeah. Oh, and, and I do and have, (laughs) (laughs) and, and most people do, because again, especially if it's your first hike and you're a novice, it's also overwhelming because there are so many choices, so many options out there. So many people have such strong opinions about their gear and about the choices that you should make their whole books about people (laughs) finding about their, you know, their gear choices. So, I mean, you it helps to have somebody to say, you know, it doesn't really matter what you choose. Mm-hmm. If you make a bad choice, you can just change it. Right. And you just figure out what works for you. And that is probably going to be a trial and error process. Or you just make a choice and make do with it. A lot of people do that. Oh, this tent will be good enough. And 
that's fine. They through hike with the whatever tent they choose. Right. People make gear choices out to be a lot more difficult than they should be. They get dro- they get caught in the minutia of it. Right. Well, and that's kind of the ultralight trend as well, because right. minutia really matters to ultralighters. Mm-hmm. You, you they're shaving down to the bare bare bones, almost to un- an unsafe level with the gear choices that you're making. And I'm sure that there are plenty that would argue against that. But light and fast means you're having to do more miles, right? cover more ground, and a more um, uncomfortable setup. Because ultimately, you know, doing ultralight is going to be more uncomfortable than if you have your nice pad and your extra layer of clothing and, you know, your wet wipes instead of just... <laughs> We are using sticks and 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 leaves or what you know things like that. I mean, those are the choices that ultralighters make. And then also, you, you know, I think more importantly, med kits. Mm-hmm. Most lightweight, midweight hikers are going to have a robust first aid kit. Yeah, and you might have some duct tape and a leave, and that's, and that's maybe a band aid. Yeah, the band aid maybe. You know, when when you're going ultralight, so. You know, when it, when it comes down to it, you aren't quite as self-sufficient right. when right. you use the ultralight route. So making those choices are, you know, it's it's important. You're making mm-hmm. important decisions, you know, that shouldn't be taken lightly. Yeah. Now, you've done the Triple Crown, so congratulations for that. Thank you. And I would guess that on the Appalachian Trail, you were probably starting heavier in terms of what you were carrying and all of that versus the Continental Divide Trail where you were much more slimmed down, you knew the ropes and... Right. Well, I was a complete noob when I did the Appalachian Trail. I had no idea what I was doing. I um, had done a short backpacking trip in college with the uh, Outdoor Club. Mm -hmm. uh, And that was on the Appalachian Trail and what planted the through-hiking seed. Yeah, that and combined with the uh, El Camino. I learned about El Camino, the El Camino okay. de Santiago and was interested in the whole pilgrimage concept. Mm-hmm. Um, so those two combined got me into through hiking. But I was also trying to do it on the cheap. Uh-huh. I didn't have much money. Uh, with, my mother was helping support me through it. And she thought it was a great idea and something that was wonderful for me. And it truly was life-changing. But I had, you know, a backpack from college. I had a pad that I'd had for ages. I had a huge whisper light stove. I had all <laughs> I had all of this gear that I, you know, I wasn't going to purchase more gear. I was going with gear that was familiar and that I knew. Mm-hmm. And I put it on the backpack and I was pushing 50 pounds when <laughs> I started the Appalachian Trail. Uh, I, think it w- I think I weighed in at like 47.5, something like that. I'm assuming that's with food and water or that is was, that? Yeah, that was okay. with food and water. Right. Um, Neil's gap was very, very important to me. Um, I had, well, I got my name old gear, mm-hmm. uh, OG for short, because in that first section from Springer Mountain to Neil's gap, I had huge gear failures Oh God! and, and had to replace, I ended up replacing my whisper light for an alcohol stove. I ditched my old North Face tent for a big Agnes Fly Creek. Um, sent home a bunch of stuff that I figured out. Well, Didn't I'm need. Just, I don't. I don't need this. I'm not going to carry this. You know, I don't. I don't need 
two changes of underwear. I'm just going to go with one change of underwear. I don't need this, you know, fleece layer. I'm going to switch mm-hmm. that. Out. So I did all that sort of changes and switches um, with Neil's Gap and was able to keep going from there. Truly saved me. The second important spot for me on the Appalachian Trail was uh, Franklin. I chose big boots, big oh. boots, leather boots for, for, for my shoes that fit my feet instead of going with uh, a trail runner or a lightweight mm-hmm. hiking boot. And I ended up getting impact injuries on both of my big toes Ooh. and had to wear Crocs down a mountain. And I hiked out with a Boy Scout troop who drove me into town to, to heal and buy a new pair of shoes. So somebody in Franklin, North Carolina, got a great pair of leather boots for free because that just went <laughs> to a high box. I was like, forget these things. Um, and uh, I ended up getting a good pair of bigger mm-hmm. uh, uh, vast breezes, what I fitting oh, okay. my feet. But anyway, so it was it was a constant process. And even when I got to the halfway point in Harper's Ferry, I ended up getting a backpack that actually fit my back. I learned while I was hiking somewhere in between North Carolina and uh, Harper's Ferry that the backpack that I had was completely ill-fitted. It was mm-hmm. a large and I needed, a, it was, I think it might've been an extra, it was, it was just ginormous. And I, I needed a smaller medium backpack and I got a, a well-fitted backpack there. Right. So, you know, even halfway through the Appalachian trail, I was changing gear. Mm-hmm. So the gear choices that you make while are important, you can change them. Right. And nowadays with, you know, with all of the delivery, Mm-hmm. that companies will do for you it's really easy to just even make a phone call place an order online and and have new gear delivered to you while you're hiking if something right. doesn't work right and that seems to be the common theme these days of you know you you order something five days and then you pick it up at the next town and right. you know you just kind of search circle things out as you go yeah and even down even down to calling an uber on the appalachian trail like hikers don't have to hitch as much or <laughs> as much as i did when i hiked i uh, my i was dependent upon somebody being mm-hmm. generous enough to pick me up to get into town to resupply uh now hikers can call a lift call an uber you know wow i i a big difference didn't even think about that but that's huge well on the appalachian trail i don't think that pacific you, crest I, and I, continental it, doesn't, divide. it doesn't happen on the continental divide yeah. Uh, and and I don't think it's as common on the PCT either. But uh, that is definitely something that can happen on the Appalachian Trail. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, my God. Listening to you talk about the Appalachian Trail, you're like the poster child for what this podcast is about. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, I guess. <laughs> so, so obviously, when you got to the end of the Appalachian Trail, I mean, were you ready to say, OK, I've done one. I'm done with this. Or did you already start the seeds of the next one? Well, I didn't know about the Pacific Crest Trail or the Continental Divide Trail before I started hiking on the Appalachian Trail. So I learned about the whole... I knew that the Appalachian Trail was historic and mm-hmm. uh, and uh, a through-hiker's trail and the oldest trail. And I knew all of these things and learned more and more as I was uh, hiking. But then I learned about the other trails as well. So okay. I kind of had it in the back of my mind that it's something that I might like to do in my life. And uh, when I finished hiking, the AT was just so, it's so painful. <laughs> it was so painful yeah. for, for me. My, it, I, it wore my body down. And, and the food choices that I made, I think, were 
one of the biggest gaps because okay. my I lost a great deal of weight, including muscle mass on the Appalachian Trail, because I just wasn't intaking what I needed to be healthy while I hiked. Mm-hmm. So there, there were definitely definitely sections in Maine that I was extremely fatigued, losing too much weight because the hiking was strenuous. My body was eating itself, basically. It was up to speed. I mean, I had the true like through hiker body, and I was making great miles, but I was there was a sacrifice for that, mm-hmm. and my body took the toll. So between the Appalachian Trail and the Pacific Crest Trail, I learned how to do much better with my dr- nutrition. And right. be healthier while I hiked. So when I was done with the Appalachian Trail, it was I was thinking, eh, I don't think I'm. While it's a great idea and I, something I might do later on in life, I don't know if I want to hike those other trails anytime soon. Mm-hmm. But then I got a job and started working and realized, yeah, well, maybe I should just go ahead and hike while I'm young and healthy and knock these out in my thirties. <laughs> because I don't know about this real world stuff. <laughs> hiking culture. I was my truest self when I was on trail. And I want to, I want to be that again. And I want to be that while I'm young and healthy. Mm -hmm. So, so it didn't take too long before I started planning my next, planning the next, planning my next hike and, and thinking about the triple crown. Mm -hmm. Adulting is hard. So hard. (laughs) People are hard. True. Very true. People are hard. Now, did, on each of the trails, were you basically hiking solo and just ended up with tra- uh, trail families as they mishmashed together? Yes and no. So the Appalachian Trail was definitely that. I was by myself and had several trail families. I kind of bounced in and out, but I had some you know common people that I was hiking around the whole time mm-hmm. and great you know lifelong friendships from that. Well, the same for the other two trails, honestly. Right. But I did have a hike partner on the PCT, a guy that I went to college with and dated briefly even was interested in my Appalachian Trail hike. He saw how transformative it was for me. And I went to visit him before I was going to hike the PCT that winter before and was telling him what I was planning on doing. And he was in a position in life where he had been, he'd been at the grind for a while and uh, he didn't really see a good way out of his position uh, and needed a big change in his life. So he mm-hmm. said, Hey, do you think I could come with you? So we started with conference calls and I started coaching him on gear and what he needed to do, the kinds of choices he needed to make. And I didn't tell him what he needed to buy. I just told right. him the kinds of things that he needed to think about. And he went out and did the research and he was, he's a spreadsheet guru. He had, <laughs> he, he had, he had protein, carbs, fat. He had all of that out in the spreadsheet to make sure he had the right number of calories every day. Like he went full, he went head first, dove right in. So uh, he hopped on trail with me and we did hike the whole PCT together. And we also had a trail family while we were hiking on the Mm -hmm. PCT. So it wasn't just us. We did have people that were hiking with us as well. And then the CDT, uh, I did start alone, but starting the first day, I ended up with trail family i ran into uh two people hot mess and omg when i was signing up for my campsites in glacier national park and life circumstances made it that i had to start when i did but um it was right after fourth of july so all the campsites had been booked up Mm -hmm. and it was it was really hard to try to get a permit to hike through so they got their plan together 
And then as they pressed the button to get their permit, one of them disappeared. So Hot Mess had a little bit of meltdown. And she, I, she knew I already had a permit. She saw me get mine. And she says, do you mind if we just tag along with you and just <laughs> get through on this one permit? So, but before I ever even started on the CDT, I ended up with a family at the beginning and then ended up bouncing around and um, hiking with other people. And there were, there was, I had some short stints that I hiked by myself, self, mm-hmm. but, um, and it's uncommon for the CDT or maybe it's becoming more common, but um, I had a friend that was hiking a couple of weeks and he ended up getting ahead because he was hiking 30 miles a day, but <laughs> he, he only saw like five people, five through hikers, his entire hike. Other than wow. the North Bounders that he passed. Right. And uh, so just two weeks difference was nobody and a bubble where I was around people virtually my entire hike. Right. So uh, it just just depends. But I was lucky. I, I did. I was hiking with people the majority of the time. Does that help? I mean, you as a guy, probably not as much from a safety perspective, but does it help from a companionship you know, people to talk to alleviate the boredom. Yeah. Morale on bad days, you can bounce it off of one another. Now I think it's a personality thing. Mm-hmm. I definitely know people who wouldn't want to be around groups. And even right. personally, I'm a little group adverse myself. My happy spot is three people mm-hmm. in, a, in a group. And that's, that's what I'm comfortable with. You're able to keep moving. You're able to make choices amongst each other, not get into too many arguments about what you're going to do from one day to another. And it's also easier to find camp spot, camp spots for three right. people. When you get into bigger groups, it, it just gets a whole lot more complicated logistically yeah. to, to make a through like hike happen fast. And it also becomes more of a party and some people are in it for that. And that's right. fine. Hike your own hike. If you, if that's the way you want to do it, you know, I'm not judging you, but I'm just mm-hmm. saying people are, people are different. Some people want to hike solo. Some people want to be in big groups. All of it's valid. Yeah. It's sort of a, a know thyself thing. Yeah. And you were talking about the safety thing. It's true. If you are alone, you are going to have to be self-reliant. Yeah. Uh, you probably do need to communicate a little bit more when you're in town, letting people know your mm-hmm. plan. I mean, I have, if I've heard one, I've heard 10 stories about people getting lost in the woods and getting stuck or in a freak snowstorm or getting lost and because they were by themselves or in a smaller group. And so it's more important if you're by yourself to communicate your plan Mm -hmm. uh, than with a group because, and and the thing about hiking with a bubble or hiking during through hiking season is hikers kind of keep tabs on one another. You kind of know generally who's around you or who you've seen recently. And, um, and that's valuable for sorts of emergency situations. Definitely. Or injury. You know that you can, if you're injured, you can sit by the trail and somebody is going to pass you within in, within a day or so. Yeah. And I would I would think that on the, the Appalachian Trail and the Pacific Crest Trail, those look, I mean, Grant, you, I know that there are thousands and thousands of miles there, but they're looking more crowded, like just the, the pictures and stuff like that that I'm seeing. So it's more likely that somebody's going to pass by as long as you're not lost off the trail. Right. And while the CDT is still less populated, Gut Hooks came up with his app, so now mm-hmm. you do have a red line to follow on the CDT. A lot of people st- still use the Jonathan Lay maps, and instead of even having to rely on the hard copies, you can use apps like Avenza, 
where you can download the maps and have positioning on those maps. Mm-hmm. And you were, we, were, we were talking about safety. So when you think about having two sets of maps, two sets of routes that you can go right. on, there are alternates on the CDT and you get lost, go down the wrong dirt road, follow a cow path instead of the actual trail. And um, so you do have more opportunity to be off trail or on different trails from mm-hmm. other hikers. And, uh, and it's still a valid hike, even though yeah. there is the official red line. It's not blazed. Right. All the way. I mean, even though it is an official route, it's not blazed. Um, and it's certainly hard to follow in a lot of places. I spent a whole lot of time wandering on the CDT. <laughs> <laughs> um, you were exploring. I was exploring. It was a wonderful adventure. And I do mean that. I, while I was sounding a little facetious, I do mean that it was a wonderful mm-hmm. adventure. And I changed how i think about hiking and bushwhacking and getting into the remote wilderness it definitely changed my whole outlook Mm -hmm. after hiking after hiking the other two trails kind of broke my confidence a little bit too which was oh really fun fascinating yeah because it may i got it i it was out of my comfort zone i was used to you know slapping white blazes as i hiked by (laughs) a, a wonderful pct highway that was you know well graded and mm-hmm. uh, it was very different different very different journey and on the cdt you went southbound correct i did i went northbound on the at northbound on the pct and southbound on the cdt and that was just really uh life planning uh okay. it, because of the time of year that i could leave it made more sense to go southbound i wouldn't have been able to go northbound leaving in july right you yeah you would have run right against winter yeah yeah and I ran into winter anyway. Did you end up even in, in on the south, going south, like as you got towards the bottom, did you end up hitting winter before you hit the the desert and the... Yeah, I did. I, I There was an early snow in Colorado. So I ended up got having it. some road hiking um, in Colorado. But the same thing happened to the northbounders mm-hmm. last year. They were hiking... They were road hiking around the Bob and Glacier because it was already snowed out for them. So, I mean, it just depends year to year. You never know what you're going to get. What For the purposes of the CDT, when would people traditionally start a northbound versus a southbound hike? Northbound is like the other trails, generally around May. Okay. Uh, you have to have enough melt in the San Juans to be able to get through Colorado. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have to wait a little bit, uh, but I think most people start in May and then I think the ideal time to go southbound is mid June. Okay. Uh, there you're kind of, it depends on which route you want to go in glacier mm-hmm. when you would start going southbound, uh, because some of those trails don't open up until late June, early July. But I think for the rest of the trail, a mid June start is ideal was works for you yeah now i was hearing people or maybe i was just you know googling yeah uh you know start dates start times that kind of stuff and i know that there's a, a group of of individuals out there who are talking about at least for the pct i think about starting in you know april yeah um with the idea being that the snow is still going to be hard at that point you'll hit snow but it'll be hard so it'll be easier yeah. to walk through and yeah. i agree with that completely I started late April, which okay. was the bubble. But uh, yeah, anytime in April, I think is great. Okay. Yeah, and I started the Appalachian Trail 
beginning of March. And I know people who start as early as February. Mm -hmm. So, and it, it just depends on the trail. You have a much bigger window on the Appalachian trail. Right. Yeah. Now was the continental divide. Cause last year had a big, at least Pacific wise had a big snowpack. And so there was a lot of uh, water in the mountains. There was a lot of water when the snow was melting. It was, mm -hmm. it was a little crazy. Did that also happen on the CDT? No, you didn't have the fording concern okay. or anything um, that I heard about. Uh, you, there was still a, a late snowpack, mm -hmm. but that's not necessarily a disadvantage. Right. I honestly, it's better to have a late snowpack and have something hard to than hike across mm -hmm. than encounter fresh snow like I did going southbound and having to hike on the road because uh, it's so hard to trudge through and post hole through fresh snow. It, it, it kill it kills it kills your speed. You go yeah. from 25, 30 miles a day to twelve, mm -hmm. maybe fifteen. Okay, uh, which you know you you just can't sustain if you don't if if you're not planning for that. Right, you're yeah. not going to make your date. You're not going to make your date. Uh, you may end up in more bad weather mm -hmm. if 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 you don't keep it at the right speeds, especially if that's the plan. So yeah. now. Taking your, I mean, taking your Appalachian Trail and your and your Pacific Crest Trail as more the newbie start, because obviously on one you were, and on the other one you had somebody with you who was, I'm assuming, more of a newbie. He was. He'd never what been was before. <laughs> what was your mileage like at the beginning versus at the end? So Appalachian Trail, I started eight to ten miles a day. Okay. I started very slow and worked into it. By the time mm -hmm. I was in Virginia, I was doing 20 mile days. I, okay. I, had, I had my first 18, 20 mile day in North Carolina. And then I was pretty consistently doing 15 to 18 miles a day uh, through Virginia. And I'm curious, to, <laughs> people always ask, do you think you'd hike any of them again? Or what's your next adventure? And I, I would consider the Appalachian Trail again just to see the difference now that, I now that I'm experienced. You right. know? right. Especially the especially the southern states, and maybe I'm just forgetting. <laughs> <laughs> maybe how miserable some of the rain and humidity was, and the chafing and all the things that go with it. But um, I'm still curious to mm -hmm. see you know, how I would do it differently. Right. Well, you're in a different place in your life. You've had different experiences, so it's it's going to be different regardless. Right. The I definitely started higher. On the Pacific Crest Trail, I was doing 15 to 20 miles a day at the beginning. Even and with your your buddy? Yeah. I, yeah. And he well, he had been training before we Got went it. there. Um, I, I had been training before. Mm -hmm. I was much better prepared for that trail. And same for the Continental Divide. I had a 25, 30-mile day in Glacier because of the permit. And it, <laughs> I definitely had the blisters to show for it on my feet. But... Um, but I did start at that higher, higher distance mm -hmm. on both the PCT and okay. the CDT. And that just comes with the experience. Mm -hmm. Con your body's conditioned to it. The, you know, I was talking with this guy that I'm, I'm coaching. Uh, he rolled his ankle on our, on, on our last hike and was talking about, you know, was worried about, you know, injuring himself before he ever mm -hmm. started hiking. And, and I've rolled my ankles so many times that they're hardened to it. Even when I was hiking with him, I rolled my ankle, rolled my ankles a few times, and didn't it didn't do any damage just because they're 
used to it. I'm conditioned to that kind right. of thing, right? So uh, your your body changes. The, the, yeah. trail, the trail breaks you in hard. <laughs> <laughs> what are you hiking with now? What are you, what are your shoes? Uh, Solomon XA Pro 3Ds. Okay. Uh, my feet love Solomon. I did use Vast Breezes on the uh, Appalachian Trail and then a different Solomon on the PCT, but my feet love them. Mm-hmm. And, and I love them because my feet love them. And mm-hmm. I know a lot of people try ultras. A lot of people mm-hmm. have all kinds of different shoes that they try, but um, just go with what don't, don't give you blisters. Even right. if you have to, and I planned ahead on the Appalachian Trail. I had, I, you know, I bought the boots and had them mailed to me by my parents. And then after I made the selection and then same on the Pacific Crest Trail, I uh, just had them all purchased. And every 500 miles, basically, I changed out the shoes and put the old ones in hiker boxes, even mm-hmm. if they were in relatively good condition. I found the XA Pro 3Ds could last five to 700 miles. Okay. So even if you have you know, a, a trail runner that breaks down in 300, 400 miles that's, that doesn't give you blisters and is comfortable, that's, that's fine. You just prepare to change out your shoes more often. Mm-hmm. And a, another thing about footwear is if your shoes wear down and you don't have the arch support, you don't have the grip on the, on, in the, on the soles, you are risking injury. You can get yeah. shin splints, you can get plantar fasciitis, all of these injuries frequently occur because of abuse and 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 can be attributed to old shoes that need to be replaced Mm -hmm. i i can't tell you how many times i've seen people get a new pair of shoes and miraculously these (laughs) and injuries whatever they had go away because they have the you know proper supportive shoes Mm -hmm. um you're abusing your body when you through hike and you have to take care of it as best as possible and that's one reason why i recommend people you know save up enough money to be able to buy new shoes while you're hiking mm-hmm. so that you don't have these injuries. You don't have the discomfort, the unnecessary discomfort. And then right. some people are going for that. Some people, um, some people are fine with discomfort, but I don't think you should do it unnecessarily. If right. it takes a little bit more planning, a little bit more savings to make it a more, your success more likely mm-hmm. then then do that. Then yeah. do that. I mean, injuries get you off trail and it'll ruin a hike. And I would I would think that that doing that much continuous hiking, if you are not treating your feet well, could actually lead to permanent injury. Oh, absolutely. Or and, and even deformation. And, yeah. Well, it, and my my feet are bigger. Mm-hmm. Your feet grow. Like my arches have dropped from through hiking. My feet have grown more muscular because of through hiking. It it, it changes. Like I said, it changes your body. Mm-hmm. What. What was like shoe size wise? Did you go from? I well, one thing is I learned I don't buy shoes that actually fit my feet anymore. Mm-hmm. That's not comfortable for me. I I I I learned shoe fits your foot. It's all kinds of constraining, and that's one thing is you buy bigger. Right. So I buy bigger, but I went from ten and a half to twelves. Yeah, and and they are. You know, they are kind of like clown shoes or duck feet. They, right. they definitely are bigger than they should be. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't get blisters. Right. I don't get toe injuries. I have plenty of room for my toes to wiggle around while I'm hiking. Mm-hmm. And 
you know, I did have some, I do have some nerve damage on the ends of my toes because of the boots. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, you, you can lose feeling. Now, a lot of times that feeling will come back, uh, but it can be permanent loss if, if, Mm -hmm. if it's severe enough. Yeah. Now, do you, do you also use gaiters and? Yeah, I love Dirty Girl. Okay. Well, it's more keeping the sticks and sand and rocks out. If you Mm -hmm. get, if you get the right kinds of shoes, if you have the breathable shoes that have good ventilation, you're going to have dirty sandy feet anyway you right. want to have dirty sand you want to have dirty feet mm-hmm. but you don't want rocks and twigs and whatnot and mm-hmm. the dirty girls are super comfortable it, it, you don't really notice that they're there and they they keep the debris out right they they seem to be the go-to yeah, like every, yeah. it's the name on everybody's lips well well also they're cheap mm-hmm and they're really easy to replace. You can, you can. I think you can get a pair of gr- dirty girls if it's an off, uh, if it's an off pattern for like eight, twelve dollars. If you nice. want a fancy new one, it, I, mean, I mean, at most twenty, twenty-five dollars. Mm-hmm. It's just right. they're they're super affordable. And I went through two pair on the PCT and the CDT because uh, okay. they they aren't the most durable of fabric, but mm-hmm. they're breathable. So you right. don't have that that um, moisture retention that you get with some of the other gators. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they're fashion forward. And they're fashion forward. <laughs> they're wonderful. Yes, <laughs> dirty girl fan. I know. Um, what about socks? Socks, whatever. Yeah. Happy. I've I've tried just about everything. I do mm-hmm. like. I do tend to go with the ankle because I go with trail runners. I just do ankle socks. Do you do darn tufts? Do you do? farm to feet do you do rei i have hiked with rei yeah um and like them uh in Jinji, i okay. was surprised to find that i like the Jinji. i also uh, i hiked on the at with thorlos those are really good you don't see them around as much but i mm-hmm. i love those socks and while darn tough has a great return policy my feet didn't like them as much and i found that they wore faster than some of the other socks that i that i used and i'm really careful with my socks i wash them out dry them out because if you wear them over and over and over again they get threadbare and Mm -hmm. they deteriorate faster so by washing and drying them while you're hiking even just rinsing them out and hanging them on the back of your pack extends the life of your socks so it's not that i don't that I mistreat them. I just found that the darn tough didn't work as well for me. It's, it's sort of like shoes. It's, it's all personal, whatever keeps your feet safe and protected and injury free. And you may have even noticed my hesitation talking about, you know, my personal choices. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I do hesitate because they're, because they're my choices. And I, and I know the gear companies love to hear that, that, that we're, that they're the choices that we make. Mm -hmm. And I appreciate that. And I do happily say, yes, this gear worked great for me, but I don't want other people to think that they have to choose that gear because it worked great for me because everybody's bodies are different. Everybody needs to make the choices that are right for them. Right. Yeah. No, absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's interesting because I guess I contend, I contend towards like what your, your buddy on the PCT, like spreadsheets and lists and you know, weigh the different options and come up with the best solutions and, and that kind of stuff. And, and it it is really like what I'm finding with talking with everybody is that it's such an individual thing Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. that 
there's not really one size fits all for anything. Yeah, there's not. There's not. Yeah. But that's kind of what makes it so much fun. <laughs> it is. It just it just makes the discussions longer and more interesting. Very true. Mm-hmm. Very, very true. What did you do for like tent and sleeping? And I'm assuming that it it did evolve between the different trails. Yeah, I um, well, I love the Big Agnes Fly Creek. I used okay. it for the majority of the Appalachian Trail and for the Pacific Crest Trail. Um, I switched over to the Nemo Hornet Elite okay. uh, for the Continental Divide because I'm no spring chicken. And it's just easier to get in and out of a side entry tent okay. than front entry tent. And also, I could sit up more comfortably in okay. the Hornet than I could in the in the Fly Creek. Uh, so I did switch the tent on that hike. And the Hornet Elite is surprisingly light and durable. Mm-hmm. Um, I was under two pounds. I was a pound seven ounces, I believe, for my for my tent weight, which is right. great. Amazing. You know, it's it's great. And I know that some of the competitors, the single walls can get down to like 12, 14 ounces, but mm-hmm. um, I do like having the tent rainfly option. Right. And honestly, I cowboy camp whenever I can. So mm-hmm. it's kind of it's kind of like <laughs> why am I carrying this weight when I'm just sleeping on the ground all the time? Uh, but I uh, and that and that's why a lot of ultralighters do just have like a tarp. Yeah. That, that they have for emergencies. And I kind of appreciate that and have considered toying with that myself, especially for uh, you can't it's not as well, I guess if you're using shelters and whatnot on the Appalachian Trail, you can get away with it. But you get a lot more rain on the East Coast right. than you do yeah. um, on either the other two trails. And it's a lot easier to cowboy camp on the other mm-hmm. two trails than it is on the Appalachian Trail. So uh, so those are my 10 choices. Uh, sleeping bag. I, um, I used the same sleeping bag and I lost it in a house fire what? Uh, on the Appalachian Trail. It was a it was a bag that I had since college. I think it was a Kelty sleeping okay. bag. It was probably entirely too heavy, probably mm-hmm. pushing three pounds. I did get a uh, Lafuma summer sleeping bag that I still use. It was a 40 degree that mm-hmm. I used in the middle of the Appalachian Trail. So I did reduce my weight in the middle of the hike and switching that out. And I did get a... Before I hiked the Pacific Crest Trail, I changed to uh, Western Mountaineering Versalite. Okay. It's a 10 degree. I tend to sleep colder. I don't like to shiver through the night, and I'm willing to, like, have it unzipped in mm-hmm. warmer conditions. Uh, so uh, that was my sleeping bag for the PCT and the CDT. And you went with sleeping bag as opposed to quilt? I toyed with the quilt concept while I was on the CDT, and I do like the idea. I think I would want a toe box instead mm. of having it an open quilt. But um, I would frequently sleep with my sleeping bag unzipped and splayed out. Um, so essentially a quilt. Essentially, essentially a quilt. So I probably will buy one in the next couple of years uh, mm. because they're effective and they're lighter weight, generally speaking. Right. Sleeping pads. I used a just a pro light plus on the Appalachian trail because I had it. Um, mm-hmm. 
and the weight's not bad. It's definitely heavier than many. Yeah. Uh, especially now that we have like the big Agnes axle. I'm drooling over that pad. <laughs> and I and I used a Neo Air on mm-hmm. the uh, PCT. I chose a little bit heavier and went with the Sea to Summit Comfort Light on the uh, CDT. Okay. It's a great choice. It's a great pad. Mm-hmm. I love it. I don't know that it adds the comfort that's worth the extra weight. Uh, I've kind of right. gone back to my Neo Air recently on uh, local backpacking, like mm-hmm. like long weekend backpacking trips, and I forgot how much I loved it. Um, ah, okay. After, but because I fell in love with the Comfort Light, so but it is, you're, you're torn. I'm torn, but the Comfort Light is like ten ounces heavier, or not yeah. quite, not quite ten ounces. I think seven ounces, okay. but it's heavier. Yeah, and uh, and a night's sleep is important. It's all about cutting weight with distance, but it was comfortable. Yeah. I loved it. Yeah. 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 Now, and, and I know when we had talked uh, at REI, you had uh, been a huge proponent of the pillows. Yeah. That, that they made that much of a difference. They do. I think they do. I used, I had a Columbia Sportswear fleece that I wore on the Appalachian Trail and uh, used it as my pillow mm-hmm. uh, for that hike. And then my world changed when I got the ultralight see the summit pillow that I used for the Pacific crest trail. It's fantastic. I got a different version of it for the CDT, but it had the outer lining. So it ended up with a puncture and I couldn't fix it because there was no way to access that inner lining. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I ended up again, stuffing, I stuffed clothing in a stuff sack and wrapped it in my puffy uh, and use that as a pillow for the end of the CDT. So while I am a huge proponent, there are all kinds of ways that you can create a pillow right. that you have, right? And anything that is inflatable, there is a downside to. Right. Yeah. But you went old school. I did. Reverted, <laughs> reverted to old school when my inflatable failed. Yeah. I'm sure that there was a moment on the trail, however, when you had the leak where you were just like, God damn it <laughs> right well i wake up and my pillow was deflating in the middle of the night and my head was on the ground and i'm like ah blow and you just blow it up in the middle mm-hmm. of the night and then it deflates again you blow it up and it deflates so that happened a few sections of trail and finally i think i was in cuba new mexico when i finally threw it away but um you did the burial at sea yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah what about food Food. Did you like pre-plan everything and, and have somebody send you resupply boxes and, and do all of that? Or did you find a lot of stuff on trail? I've done it all. I, <laughs> uh, I had everything I had. Well, I taught my mom and my family how to do boxes for the Appalachian Trail. And there are some funny stories that from from that experience. But my family helped do boxes for the Appalachian Trail and supported me that way. When you say do boxes, meaning that they put together the boxes or you had prepackaged them? I had a list. Yeah, they did. I had a list of mail drops and mm-hmm. they and I had a number of days of food that needed to happen that that needed to be in the box for that section. And uh, they put together the boxes for me. Mm. Yeah, I know. A lot of trust there, right? A lot of trust. And uh, and then I would supplement in town. Uh, same thing for the Pacific Crest Trail, except 
I put together all the boxes. I didn't want that burden. I, and, and it was a burden on my family. Yeah. It really was to, to prepare those boxes for the Appalachian Trail. So I didn't want them to ha- go through that burden again. Mm-hmm. So I prepared all my boxes for the Pacific Crest Trail. And my mom had a wall of boxes <laughs> in her house. And, and she would throw in a few supplemental things sometimes. Or if I asked, she'd change some things out. Mm-hmm. But um, I had the list and I had the boxes there and she just um, mailed them out for me. And then for the Continental Divide, I didn't do that. I had a bounce box. Mm-hmm. I would, when there were places that didn't and only had convenience store or no resupply, I would buy in advance and mail to myself. And, uh, and then I just resupplied in town. That can be a more expensive way to mm-hmm. go. But if you are paying for shipping, it probably weighs out. It probably weighs out and you end up sending about this. Food is probably the most expensive thing about through hiking, mm-hmm. especially when you get into town and are ravenous and want to eat everything. <laughs> you, you Seriously, seriously, though, it's really hard to resist eating everything in mm-hmm. sight and that's and that's where a lot of people go over budget is because they can't control themselves when they get into town and they want to drink all the drinks and eat all the food yeah that and that's one another reason why i i tell people that you know plan ahead save up save up enough money so that you can do your thing in town right and not have to like stress oh i shouldn't have had that 20 dollar pizza mm-hmm. um so yeah. How when you say save, you know, save up, save money, like what are you usually telling people? Like how well, much? Again, again, that's a very personal thing because people have different comfort levels. Right. Right? So some people don't mind camping in town and going to eat, even and but other people, you know, want to have that warm shower. And it's different between trails. So Appalachian Trail, you're getting wet. You're going to want to dry out. You're going to want that warm shower. So Mm -hmm. having access to that and paying the money for that is important for morale. Yeah. If if it breaks you, then you're off trail and you don't get the through hike. So being able to know I can. All right. Well, that and and even like going in together with people and sleeping Mm -hmm. floors in hotel rooms, whatever you have to do, like just but just have that available to you. People underestimate morale. Yeah. and getting and the trail can break you. I've mm-hmm. seen so many people quit hiking just because they didn't want to be wet anymore and just why am I putting myself through this? And it just by getting a hot shower and drying out for a day in town can turn you around and get you back out into the woods. Yeah. And it can be life-saving <laughs> on the Continental Divide or, or even the PCT if you hit a heavy snow year and you need to go into Mammoth and and get a hotel mm-hmm. and warm up and you know, you, you have to allow yourself those things. It keeps you going. Yeah. yeah. Did you have, did you have mental breakdowns? I'll call it, but did you have moments on each of the trails or any of the trails where you were just like, I don't know if I can do this tomorrow. Uh, or I don't want to do this tomorrow. I don't, I don't want to was, was the thing. Like, uh, and I, yeah, all of them. I had moments. Why do I put myself through this? I remember I was hiking into, I chose the Anaconda route on the CDT and I'd had horrible blisters since Glacier National Park. I was having huge shoe issues before I found the Solomon XA Pro Mm -hmm. Pro 3Ds. And I'm so stupid. I was hesitant to do the XA Pro 3Ds from the beginning because I wasn't confident that the Kevlar laces would would last. 
and I would end up <laughs> without laces. And nonsensical, everyone, the, the Kevlar laces are fine. <laughs> uh, I never had to change them out. I had a spare in my bounce box and never had to change them. But before, but hiking into Anaconda, I was I had cell service and I was on the phone with a friend, and we were he was having hard times and we were kind of going back and forth with hard times, and I said I don't think you understand. Every single step that I'm taking right now is excruciating. I have blisters that cover the pad of my foot, oh. and every single step is excruciating. And when you're going through that kind of pain, mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of people can't make it. A lot yeah. of people can't do that. Um, you have to want it. You have mm-hmm. to want. It. You have to understand the goal and and get past that barrier, that mental barrier. Uh, right. It's it's kind of it's it's like a pilgrimage. I mean, it is a pilgrimage, mm-hmm. an American pilgrimage. We have pilgrimages here. Yeah, it's a different kind of thing. It's not the same kind of religious experience as you know. You're not destined for a saint or a church or you know Mecca. It, it's different destinations but a pilgrimage nonetheless yeah you have to go through those trials those those sufferings to make it valuable to you mm-hmm. that, that's why people respect through hikers so much because it hurts people know that it hurts it's a daunting yeah. task was the worst the feet or did you also have issues you know back or legs or hips or i have had lots of different problems <laughs> I, I strained my it band in the sierra <laughs> and made all of the people around me miserable because I'm a horrible injured person. Um, <laughs> but I had to, you know, I got a foam roller and was rolling out my IT band in the middle of the Sierras. And, you know, oh, that would be an image. And right. And summoning Whitney with an injury, you know, and I it, you just kind of he- keep hiking and work through it. Shin splints, plantar fasciitis, tendonitis in weird spots, chafing, mm. all kinds of chafing. Under, you know, armpits, butt, hips, back, you, you, you know. It, Everywhere. And, it, and honestly, it's moisture. Mm-hmm. Um, moisture, I think, is what causes chafing most often, other, if not rubbing. I mean, yeah. so a seam in the side of your shirt in the wrong place on your hip will cause a huge sore on your hip, right? Mm-hmm. Or if you have one extra layer because it's raining, you have, it, it causes, or even when it's not raining, and that's the, a bad case. So it's cold, and you add on rain pants on top of right. your layers, and then all of a sudden you don't have the ventilation, and you get butt chafing because you have an extra layer in there. I had a random day on the Appala- on the Appalachian Trail that I got armpit chafing. Who knows why I got <laughs> armpit chafing that day? I mean, it doesn't make any sense. Everything was exactly the same. It's not like mm-hmm. it hadn't been humid and raining the day before, but I got armpit chafing. You know, and maybe it's because I didn't wash my armpit. That's possible. But I'm pretty sure I had a shower. Uh, but, you know, it, you just it is what roll. it is. It is what it is. And you roll with punches. Right. How did you deal with like the chafing? Did you just grin and bear it or did did you have like baby powder or so hard to grin and bear it? I mean, chafing uh, is miserable. I know. Um, so never been a powder guy. OK. Uh, when I had my first bad chafing. My dear friend gave me some Vaseline mm-hmm. uh, to uh, ease my butt cheeks. <laughs> Such a wonderful woman, Moonwalker. And um, then I just kind of dealt with it. 
I learned that Vaseline was good. So that's what I used on the Appalachian Trail. But I talked to my doctor before I hiked the Pacific Crest Trail and was talking about rashes and chafing and things like that. And she actually prescribed a very mild steroidal cream okay. that I carried with me. And amazing stuff. Talk to your doctor. Like <laughs> if I got if I got the hint of cha- chafing, uh-huh. wa- wash the area before I go to bed apply the cream before I go to bed and it's gone in the morning. Like, wow. Miracle, miracle stuff. I highly recommend it. Highly. Very cool. Okay. Note to self. (laughs) Yeah. Jeez. Did you bring anything with you to listen to or did you kind of just hike in silence or create your own music or, you know, whatever? Distractions. Yeah. So on the Appalachian Trail, I was bound and determined to do half of the trail without my iPod. So that's why I, I I suppose I wanted to have that outdoor, that nature experience. I wanted to have time to be in my head and Mm -hmm. it was definitely a bit of wilderness therapy for me, you know, work through issues, give myself time to think Mm -hmm. I needed that. I don't know that I needed a half a trail worth of time to think (laughs) I probably could have added the music in earlier um, because I did end up singing to myself. Um, mm-hmm. on trail singing with others so there was a lot of singing first half of the Appalachian Trail but I did get my iPod halfway through and listen to music and still sang but mm-hmm. just had music to sing to for the second half of the Appalachian Trail and then I did carry an iPod and I had my phone that I had either music or podcasts I think I mostly did music on my iPod and then Mm -hmm. podcasts on my phone because I also use my phone as my camera. So I um, wanted to keep that, you know, reserve that space for pictures. Right. Um, And battery. And battery. Absolutely. And battery. But yeah, a combination of music and podcasts. Just to, to keep you distracted, as you say. Well, it just it can be such a grind. Hiking it day in and day out can be such a Mm -hmm. grind. And some people are fine with it and don't need that. It just makes it a little bit easier. Right. Especially if you're in pain. Like, I don't think I would have gotten through some of those sections that every step hurt if mm-hmm. I didn't have music to sing to to get my mind off of it. Because it's right. so easy to fixate on that pain. Yeah. And it just makes you miserable. So if you have any way to distract yourself from that pain, then that's what you should do. That's what you do. <laughs> yeah. 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 What was your longest day of hiking? My longest day of hiking was in the Great Divide Basin in Wyoming. Uh, it's notorious, notoriously dry and hot and barren mm-hmm. and miserable. And I hiked for 24 hours. I hiked all day and all night and did 50, <laughs> 58, 60 miles somewhere in there. I did two thirties to get out of the basin <laughs> because I just couldn't do it anymore. I had to get out of there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was calling for desperate measures. Uh, well, I mean, I was putting on sunscreen three, four times a day, and I was probably as dark as I've ever been. Mm-hmm. You know, my, I, I needed to get out of the sun. <laughs> <laughs> so I did the miles to do it. Yeah, yeah. And and you hear it, it's funny. Like if you go on YouTube and you start just uh, searching, you know, the trails and that kind of stuff. People seem to do wild things in order to alleviate the boredom of the trail. Oh, yeah. Whether that's, 
you know, long hikes, hiking 24 hours or 48 hours or, you know, epic eating binges when they get into town. Right. And they're all the competitions. They're the, you know, what is it? Four states in a day on the Appalachian Trail. And then there's the Hat Creek Rim Challenge. And there are tons there. I mean, Mm -hmm. tons of challenges. But yeah, it's it it, it makes it fun. It's it spices it up a little bit. You know, it's something different that people do and something to talk about. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Have you had any issues being able to take the time off to do this? Or did you just have to plan? I mean, you just make it happen. I mean, honestly, my career is sacrificed for it. Mm-hmm. I'm not where I should be at my age because I've walked away and hiked for six months out of a year, you know? Right. So um, it definitely has stunted my career, whatever mm-hmm. that career may be. I still don't know what I want to be when I grow <laughs> up, but it definitely slowed me down. Mm-hmm. But that's, but that's, but you know, we only, you only live once. Yeah. It's, it's a trade off of experience. Yeah. And, and, and people who, the thing about the, the corporate world is very used to its norms. It's very used mm-hmm. to its structure. It, and, and it's very hard to find people who think outside of that and value the experience doing something like this. There are so many parallels that you can bring into the business world um, that I learned from through hiking. I mean, mm-hmm. even down to, you know, everybody talks about Six Sigma and uh, lean processes. And everybody has heard of it if they don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. And that's basically what through hiking is. You're constantly evaluating what you're carrying. You're constantly slimming it down. You're thinking about changing things out to make it more efficient or um, work better. And, you know, that that's something that everybody learns from through hiking, you yeah. know, and, and you, 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 people don't think about it that way. They think you're out, you know, having fun and, you know, joy hike in the woods everybody think about hike is hiking is like a weekend or backpacking is like a weekend pleasure mm-hmm. when you through hike it turns more into a lifestyle a job you know it right. it, it kind of it it changes yeah it, it changes the nature of it yeah yeah because you you've got to you've got to put in the mile it's it's like dare i say it but clocking in clocking out you've got to put in the miles you've got to yeah. plan the next steps you've yeah. got to yeah. do all of that stuff absolutely you absolutely do. Or you're not going to make it. Yeah. You're not going to, you're not going to through hike if you don't do that. So it is, yeah. it, so it's, it is like a job. Yeah. <laughs> a fun just, one. A yeah. Fun one. <laughs> a beautiful one, a painful one. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, there, you, you have all the same sort of life experiences. It's, it's a subculture. It's a microcosm of the world. You know, you, it, mm-hmm. it's, you, there are lots of parallels. You can parallel so many things. To the, to the real world or, you know, everyday life. It's just a different kind of lifestyle. Yeah. Yeah. What what would you consider to be like your most, most difficult day on trail? Was it when you were having those issues with your shoes on the Continental Divide? And So I think my most difficult, well, I've had difficulties on all of the trails. Absolutely. My most difficult time, I'm going to give you examples of all three. Perfect. My most difficult time on the Appalachian Trail was injury injury related. I was in a rainstorm in Vermont, hiking down towards the road leading into Rutland, mm-hmm. and um, stepped on a rock because it was at the time of year that I was hiking through. Um, we all decided that it was Vermud, not Vermont. <laughs> so we were slogging through mud and. 
I chose to rock hop during a rainstorm, slipped, my, oh, no. my pack weight spun me towards falling down the side of a mountain, so I jammed my trekking poles into the trail, into this mud, arrested my fall, and in doing so, tweaked my lower back. Ooh. So I uh, hobbled, <laughs> hobbled <laughs> off the mountain and stayed uh, in Rutland, went to the chiropractor, you know, anti-inflammatories, heat ice, mm-hmm. the things that you do, um, and ended up having to get back on trail still injured. And that was a very hard section of trail. And my mom, my mom, I talked to my mom and uh, she said, well, is it time for me to come and get you? And I said, no, I'm in Vermont. <laughs> I'm basically done. Of course I'm finishing this trail. But, um, but the thought did cross my mind and it was mm-hmm. very painful to walk, to hike through that injury. But I, I did it. So that was probably the hardest tra- time on the Appalachian Trail. PCT was more uh, morale. You're in California forever. <laughs> and then yes. you're still in California. And then you're hiking more in California. And you're never going to get out of California. Even past the halfway point, you're still in mm-hmm. California. And... Uh, <laughs> And when will the damn state end? And will I ever get out of this damn state? Uh, so around Truckee, I was having a really hard time. I, I was mm-hmm. considering getting off trail. And uh, we went to get, I, the, I was hiking with two other guys, my, my, high, my, my college buddy and another guy. And we were getting sushi in Truckee. And music came on and I started to wiggle my butt a little bit. And I was like, you know what? we're renting a car and going to San Francisco and we're going to go dancing for a night. So, (laughs) so that's what we did. And it's exactly what we needed. We needed to get away for a minute. Yeah. So, uh, that was fun. That was fun. But that was also one of the lowest points. If I, if, if that idea hadn't come to mind, I'd, I don't know, but it Mm -hmm. was, it was a very hard time. Uh, so there's that. And then the CDT probably was, the uh the blisters the the mm-hmm. i i didn't if i didn't find the right pair of shoes i don't know if i would have made it through if i hadn't if i hadn't solved the blister blister issue i don't think i would have made that whole trail yeah because uh, that was pretty early on it was very early on i wasn't out of montana yet it was in the first 800 miles um i finally got a good pair i finally got the solomons and um Oh gosh, I don't remember the town exactly, but it was near Yellowstone. It was mm-hmm. one of my one of the stops near Yellowstone. Uh, so that's a thousand miles in, yeah, thereabouts. So that's a lot of painful hiking, you know. Yes. Uh, I and I was on the phone with Solomon. I was like, "Look, these are the shoes that I wore on the PCT. I didn't get any blisters. Give me a name. Give me a size. Mm-hmm. We got to solve this, or I'm not going to be able to through hike." So I had a great rep talk me through the options and and we got an order and and it fixed it yeah and it fixed it it fixed and it became it. your shoe and it became my shoe yeah <laughs> so so what about on the other side of the of the uh the line in terms of like your best moments on trail best moments katahdin really what is is epic <laughs> climbing katahdin is epic and that really was a 
the best moment on the Appalachian Trail. I was with two people that I love dearly, and we'd hiked together since Georgia on and off. And my mom came and summited the mountain with me. And uh, it was epic. That was definitely the best day. And, you know, we didn't have the best weather. It was kind of cloudy while we were hiking up. But then when we got to the summit, while the clouds didn't disappear altogether, they settled Mm -hmm. down and we had a clear view of the top of the mountain and it was sunny and we could see down to the clouds below us. So like you were at the top of the world. Exactly. felt like you were at the top of the world. Uh, It was amazing. And uh, so definitely the highlight of the Appalachian Trail. Continental Divide. Gosh, I don't, I can't think of like one. I had a really great hike group for Mm -hmm. a while. And I think that camaraderie was a highlight because it was, there were lots of rocky points. There were lots of up and down points on the um, Continental Divide. And when I settled into this group, it uh, just became a whole lot of fun. And I was also approaching the end of triple. Uh, I knew that I was triple crowning. Mm-hmm. I knew that there wasn't anything that was going to stop me from triple crowning <laughs> at this point. So um, just having that that great camaraderie, mm-hmm. and and we were all it, it was all triple crowners. We were, it was a oh group, wow okay it was a group of triple crowners. Uh, so it was a uh, it was just a whole lot of fun hiking with those guys and rounding out the the through hikes. And as for the PCT, there is this, let's see, what was my favorite on the PCT? I came up with, a, I, I'm getting my Triple Crown Award this weekend, and in the application for the certificate, um, they do ask these questions, and I don't remember what I said for the PCT. <laughs> I don't remember. So what, what is the moment that comes to mind? There were, uh, the, the, the moment that comes to mind is one specific night um, before I was hiking into Big Bear with uh, the group that I was hiking with. It was a, mm-hmm. I think we had five five people. It was a fair. It's still a fairly small group. Well, bigger than I would normally be comfortable with, but still small. And we started uh, hiker potluck, where we oh, all, really? where we all cooked dinner and then mm-hmm. just passed around our dinners. and that was so much fun and we all got along so well we were it was it was the true like hiker family sort Mm -hmm. of feeling we all had been hiking around each other with that we knew each other fairly well at this point we'd already you know broken past that some of that awkwardness and uh and just dove right in and just sitting around and sharing our food and Making fun of one another and kick hacking, kick hacking like brothers and sisters. It was, it was just a, mm-hmm. it was just a lot of fun. And and those sorts of moments are as great as you know hiking up a, a hard mountain and getting to the top without you know stopping for the first time. You know that mm-hmm. that when you finally get those hiker legs and you you're able to power all the way up to the top and keep going without you know breaking too much of a sweat. That you know yeah that is just as Justice rewarding, you know the 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 hiker community is just as rewarding as the hiking itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you find that the the BS that we walk around with in the real world 
sort of falls away and people yes. are a little bit more raw and, and real. Yeah, absolutely. Much quicker. I, I, uh, yeah, much, much quicker. You, you become, you make friends faster. You mm -hmm. get more comfortable with people quicker. You're sharing, you're much more intimate. I mean, mm -hmm. you're much more intimate on trail uh, than you are in real life. you a lot of those barriers do break down. Not always, mm -hmm. but frequently they do. And yeah, it's definitely the most beautiful thing. I think I'm my truest self. I think OG is the truest version of me. Definitely the most honest version mm -hmm. of me. Probably the most vulnerable as well. Yeah. It, 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 yeah. It's, it changes you. It changes yeah. you. Yeah. Now, you've kept the, the hiker name OG through all three trails. I had people try to change my trail name <laughs> because I like the name and it was my original name. And that's my, that's my, that's my through hiking name. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I like it. Do people usually stick with that? The first one that they get, or do people go to different ones for different trails or, or different points in their life? I do know of people who have changed their names on different trails and even in the same trail. Uh, mm. I, know people who don't want to have a trail name at all use their real name i know people who've stuck with their trail name they're all all variations all variations mm -hmm. so to you who is og wow sorry to get so profound all of a sudden <laughs> <laughs> um og is a caretaker og uh doesn't really care what other people think Mm -hmm. OG's liberated and open and fearless. OG's cautious and thoughtful. Mm -hmm. Some of the best parts of me, just the best parts of me come out mm -hmm. when I'm on trail. I think not I, I think I think being around masses of people, being in cities, being being in the public eye, being in the society that we have here in the US makes you hard makes you harder mm -hmm. um protective protective reserved cautious weary all yeah. you you know it, the world is a strange place and you can't be your true self mm -hmm. unless you don't get hurt easily and right. anybody who does care and can be vulnerable can easily get hurt and that can happen on trail as well. Don't get me wrong. I mean, Absolutely. you know, that you definitely encounter not so nice people <laughs> when you're on trail. But yeah. generally speaking, through hikers are of a different kind. You know, you have to be a certain kind of person to make it out there. And if you aren't, the trail frequently will teach you who you need to be. Mm -hmm. You know, you have to ask for help when you need it. You have to give help. The trail provides, you know, right. so I think it changes you for the better. It, it gets you it, it gets you away from the world and allows you to, I guess, blossom, be yourself, mm -hmm. be more vulnerable. Right. Did you find that from that experience and living that way for so many months on the trail, you were able to bring maybe not all of those pieces, but a lot of those pieces into yourself in the real world or? Well, that's the idea. But yeah. I actually found that 
the world is more than happy to crush you back into where you're supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's more likely. And maybe that's just my personal life experience. They like what they know. You, you can remember. You can remember those moments. You can remember those parts of those mm-hmm. feelings. But sustainable back in the real world? No, I don't think so. I don't, I don't think you can. I don't think the environments translate well enough. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't think you can. Hence the reason why you go back to the trails. Hence the reason why you go back to the trail. Yeah. yeah. Which actually kind of leads into the, the sort of the last question or last uh, conversation topic, which is trail magic and, and trail angels. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) the look on your face kind of says it all. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's so just so wonderful. Uh, Mm -hmm. like I had lost a lot of faith in humanity before I started through hiking. I had given Mm -hmm. up on people. Like I had been treated so poorly on so many cases and had to go through so many trials and tribulations only to understand that I wasn't the problem, <laughs> that, they, that they were the problem. The, uh, the thru-hiking was just so restorative to me. It, mm-hmm. And trail angels and trail magic helped me gain a little faith in people again. You mm-hmm. know, it, it helped me understand that there are good people, well-intentioned people out there that just out of their generosity whatever their motivation may be mm-hmm. are willing to open up and help a perfect stranger because right. they're doing something that they admire you know and that that was truly valuable and really helped me turn a specific corner mm-hmm. yeah 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 and i give back because because of that mm-hmm. i intentionally packed additional food in my boxes and would you know buy an entire box of oatmeal instead of instead of just going in with somebody and 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 putting all that in hiker boxes so i gave i you know i mm-hmm. even while hiking i angeled because it it turned it it helped me mm-hmm. trail, trail angels and trail magic helped me so much that i've tried to give that back yeah and that's sort of with trail families and the whole bit, it's like one of the best parts of the trail. Yeah, 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 definitely. And we didn't talk about this, but um, another great part of the trail is at at least how I approached it. Mm -hmm. Through hiking, triple crowning was kind of a sociological experiment for me. I was able to Mm. hike through all of these remote parts of America and encounter all of these beautiful and random and crazy people that I wouldn't have encountered otherwise and being able to walk past them and actually have conversations and interact with them instead of speeding by in a car. It changes, Mm -hmm. it changes how you understand the world around you. And through hiking gave me that very intimate understanding of kind of how America ticks and that, yeah. uh, uh, if that was truly valuable as well as seeing how we're all so similar, but, you know, can can be different depending on where you are and seeing those differences in different areas of the country so, mm-hmm. and how how people live in certain places as opposed to others. It's uh, it was fascinating, fascinating seeing the U.S. in that way. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, I well I haven't done a, the through hike thing. I I did a a couple of years ago. I did a road trip across the United States, mm-hmm. and it was it was similar in that respect of seeing the different people, and you don't truly appreciate the vastness of the states until you in my case, road tripped it or until until you hike it Mm -hmm. and and how amazing and vast and beautiful and random it is. Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah. It makes it so much fun. It does. It does. It's just a, I think it's an aspect that a lot of people overlook Mm -hmm. um, when they're through hiking, but it shouldn't be discounted. Yeah. Yeah. Is there anything else you feel like we've missed or not talked about or? No, I think we've covered a great deal in a very <laughs> short amount of time. You've gotten some pretty pretty good stuff out of me that I don't normally talk about. Well, thank you. Yeah, thank no you problem. for sharing. Yeah, of course. <laughs> so where can people find you? Should they should they I don't know if you do coaching for other people besides this guy or just if people want to find you and your and your journey. Gosh, I don't put myself out there that much. Um, <laughs> okay. Well, probably the best way would be I have a I have a private Instagram account, but mm-hmm. that's probably my most most public thing. It's at hiker OG, so H I K E R O G. So if okay. people wanted to like reach out, you can friend me on there and DM me, and and I'm pretty responsive. But uh, okay. that's probably the best way. Yeah. Perfect. I wouldn't be surprised if people reach out. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Yeah. So thank you so much, Neil, between your, your assistance at REI and, and talking to me now, it's been amazing. Thank you. Thank you. And links for Neil's gear can be found on our website at hiking-through.com. Special thanks to Neil for sharing his stories from the trails and Maya Wynn for the use of the song Try Again. I would love to hear about your trail stories as well. So please email me at hikingthroughpodcast at gmail.com or you can also DM me on Instagram at hikingthroughpodcast. I'll see you on the trail.